People want to know the future, where things are going, what things are actually about. I couldn't help but notice the other day there's a lady that we had in our church many years ago, a lady called Cindy Jacobs who just released a new prophecy from a conference she did. And I thought it's worth reading because it just gives us insight. I love prophetic words. Uh, it gives us insight to the future a little bit, opens up your heart and mind a little bit to think, wow, possibly is that how God thinks uh, about things? I know sometimes, you know, if you speak to pilots, they have a different view of life because they're consistently up in the air with a sort of a helicopter sort of approach, looking over large, vast, vast, vast areas of land where I suppose uh, we, you know, right down there like little ants, I suppose, part of, uh, you know, part of the, the little bumps in the road and things like that. But here's, here's Cindy Jacobs' uh, a word. That I just uh, copied it off here for you. I want to read it to you. This is what the Lord says to Australia. The enemy will try and come in like a flood from other nations. But I say, I will raise up a standard. I'm going to give you greater alliances with Australia and even New Zealand in the coming days with the United States to protect your shores. And the Lord says, I'm going to make this alliance to protect you from communism and to protect you from radicals breaking into your nation. goes on and says, you'll also see that your nations will come into alliance with Israel and it'll be a fight. Uh, it'll be a fight and some will say it never could happen but the Lord says particularly seeking, speaking to Australia right now it's going to happen goes on and says um, I positioned you as a protector of the nation of Australia uh, oh, sorry it talks about Lord Lord uh, Darwin Darwin I'm going to sort some things out for you concerning the port and concerning the Chinese I've positioned you in Darwin not only for historical purposes but for the future I position you as a protector of the nation of Australia I'm going to protect and I'm not and I'm going to put like urns just a wall of fire being put around Australia and the Lord says to West Australia new gold you'll see new mines that they thought were going to close up will open up again you'll see things that look like they were shutting down in different industries to open up more and more and the Lord says, even though it appears right now that you are just in such a, a tough situation, the Lord says, I'm getting ready because of the prayers I hear in Australia, and the prayers that I hear in New Zealand, and the prayers of the Ring of Fire nations, Papua New Guinea, Tonga, Samoa, and other, other islands that surround there. I see many nations, even the connection that will come from the area of Malaysia, and you'll be surprised at this. And the Lord says, I'm going to give you strength to know which refugees to let in and which refugees not to let in. And so even to keep out permanently. The Lord says, I'm hearing the prayers of my people. And there's going to be a great awakening once again. You'll be restored as the great Southland of the Holy Spirit. And some people say, oh, this will never happen. But the Lord says, nothing is impossible for me. And to this uh, Australia, the ring of fire nations, the Lord says, just watch and see what I will do. The universities of Adelaide will come on fire with revivalists. The universities in Melbourne and Sydney, Tasmania, Victoria, many places. Brisbane says, the Lord, I'm going to release a fire of the Holy Spirit and there'll be Jesus people movement and many, many people will be saved. It is going to happen in such a suddenly moment. The Lord says, I have revivalists, I have revivalists. And the burning with fire of God. And you will have seen revivalists in the past, but it's nothing like I'm going to do in this generation. I'm raising up anointings like William Booths and others. I'm running the, in sense of running the Salvation Army. I'm raising up anointings like even the children are going to prophesy. I'm going to cause the children to fall on their knees and prophesy. Even three-year-olds, five-year-olds, eight-year-olds uh, will want to preach the gospel. And the Lord says there's a new worship movement that's going to come out of a number of nations. And there will be alliances down in various nations that will come and the Lord will cause a power to arise through this. Amen and amen.
Very powerful word from Cindy Jacobs, isn't it? Just that prophetic speaking, that prophetic insight, that prophetic ear. I trust some of that has uh, excited you. Maybe listen to it again. That's what I find with prophecies are great. Hey, tonight I want to talk about staying alive. It's great to stay alive in this hour. The best time to live is when you're alive. And we want to talk tonight about pushing through and the need to, uh, and the way to perhaps hold on to a promise of God and not let go. 1 Timothy 1.12 is where we're going tonight. We stuck in Timothy a little bit this morning, but we're going to 1 Timothy tonight to take a look at that. The first apostle uh, of Timothy, Paul writing a letter to him in verse 12. Have you got that yet? Of Timothy. Uh-huh. Talks about this, this process. 1 Timothy 12. I'll give you a moment to find it. And I thank Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has enabled me because he had counted me faithful, putting me into ministry. We're going to climb these mountains. We've got to see this is a ministry, not a job. What God's called me to do, and I love Jess's testimony, to think, you know, this is not just a job uh, which it really is attached to a wage. This is, I'm not here for the money. I'm here because I'm called of God. I'm here because there's a ministry of Jesus Christ. And I wake up every day not to work for a pay packet, but to work for Jesus. That may take a while for you to get that around your heart and life. But friend, if you're called to ministry, don't ever think it's a job because it'll make ministry very, very difficult for you and your life very difficult because of that cross-understanding there. But he said, he's counted me faithful, putting me into ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, or very violent and angry man, but I have attained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. I think sometimes, you know, when we're hard with people, we've always got to remember how kind God's been to us. You know, how kind he's been to us. And it just should take that edge off us, which causes again to be Christ-like. This is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And then Paul says in this part, uh, of whom I am chief. <laughs> you know, I love his way because he doesn't put you down. He actually puts himself way out front there. Hey, I'm the chief of sinners, but Jesus came to save people like me and like you. However, for this reason, I obtain mercy. That in me first Jesus Christ came to show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now the king of eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And this charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you wage a good warfare. It's, it's wonderful to think Paul is an older man is really setting a pattern that Timothy could follow. You know, it's a pattern, it's a, it's a template, it's, a, it's visible, it's real, it's possible. Paul's deliberately saying there's a pattern here that you should follow. I, I think it's a good saying, isn't it? Don't ever keep away from old dudes. Make sure you get around people like that. Don't think that they're ever wasting your time. They have a lot of wisdom to ask, to share, especially if you ask them the right questions. Uh, they're there for a pattern. This is what Paul's talking about. But verse 18 says, This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage a good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, which some having rejected concerning the faith have suffered shipwrecked. Amazing, isn't it? You know, people who perhaps didn't realize that 
I've got something, but I need to hold on to it and wage a good warfare over the promise, over the prophecy as such, so that no one comes and steals it from me, no one takes it from me, that I actually go, I value this, I value God, and I believe it's a gift or, or something given to me from God that you will not get off me. You won't take off me. You won't, uh, I won't be robbed of this. And Paul's sort of saying to Timothy, make sure you learn to wage a good warfare. You know, today we have a generation that I find sometimes doesn't know how to spiritually fight, doesn't know how to grab hold or stay hold of something and spiritually fight. And we need people who can do that. He talks on in verse 16 there, he said, for this reason I have turned mercy, the first is my long-suffering. You know, Paul's talking to Timothy, he said, one of the first things you've got to learn, son, is to be patient. Now, how many young people want to learn that? None. <laughs> you to learn patience. It's easy for you old blokes to say that. You've got nothing to live for. You know, you're old, you know. He says, son, if you're going to grab hold of something important, you've got to learn patience. You've got to learn to be patient. Uh, it's not one of my uh, strengths, I want to tell you that, but it needs to be. It needs to become one of our strengths in our life that I learned to be a patient person. We used to talk to our children about being patient when they were young and, and Josh and Julie, you know, because they're kids, what are they? they don't even know what, how to spell the word. They don't even know what it means, you know. <laughs> and we used to say what patience is, is waiting happily. Be a person who knows how to wait happily. You know, so when you're in God's waiting room, when you pray to prayer or when you want something to happen, when you're in that waiting room, how do you wait? Are you one of those people that just, you know, tap your fingers or read or flick through all the magazines? Or you, you know, how are you when you're in God's waiting room? What do you like? Do you have the patience of God? Is it long-suffering for your life? And so we need to be able to be a people who can stand strong against the, the enemy when it comes to grabbing hold of the Word of God. If we're going to climb these mountains, we talked about that a moment ago. If we're going to be a person who learns to climb these mountains, one thing we're going to have to learn is to wage a good warfare over the prophetic Word given to us. If someone says to you, you know, you're going to climb the mountain of business and stuff like that, I'm not saying it's going to be hard, but I'm going to say there's going to be some days when you wake up and you're going to have to know how to fight. If you don't know how to fight, you won't live the next day after that because whoever it is coming against you could beat you up. And so how do you fight with good manners? How do you fight according to the rules? You know, there's the Marcus of Queensbury rules when you learn boxing and you have to fight by those rules to actually win the fight, to actually, you know, be uh, awarded as a winner. Paul talked about that. If you're going to be in athletics, compete according to the rules. So there's a way in the spirit you can learn to fight, but you have to learn how to fight. Otherwise, you won't wage a good warfare over your prophecy and you'll be crying, you know, over a bit of paper. You'll have hold of a bit of paper and go, I don't know why it didn't come to pass. You know, the, the prophet came to my church. The, the, my pastor prayed for me. My mum said I was going to be this, but it never, ever happened. Why was that? Why did it never happen? Because maybe you were robbed of the prophecy. Just because someone said it doesn't mean it's going to come to pass. You may need, you may need to learn how to wage a good warfare over that prophecy and over that situation so that you can, you can be a person who uh, doesn't give up. I was only listening to a documentary the other day. Of, uh, it was an interesting one of Pink, the singer, Pink. Uh, you know, and she was talking about uh, now having a daughter who's growing a little bit older all the time. She's only still, I think she's like 10 or something. Uh, you know, some of the values that she wanted to put around her. And to some people, Pink is, uh, you know, a bit of a radical and a bit out there and, you know, her concerts and so on and so forth. But when you listen to her heart for her daughter, 
she listed out, I think it was six things that she wanted to teach her daughter. She had deliberately, whether she's on a plane flying somewhere or sat down around a fire or something like that, and went, what am I going to teach my daughter of values and principles? And in listening to this uh, discussion, or not discussion, but this uh, presentation she put forward in this documentary, every single one of them were a biblical thought. You know, and one of the things she taught her daughter that I want to highlight tonight, because I wanted to teach her, is going to teach her daughter tonight, which uh, perhaps amplifies my message. She says, "I'm going to teach my daughter to say no. I'm going to be one who teaches her to say no." She said, "You don't have to teach kids how to say yes; they know how to say yes. But sometimes you got to teach them to say no. When that greasy, you know, guy turns up at the door or something like that and wants to take you out, she said, "I need to know that my daughter knows how to say no." Because it could be easy for her prophetic world to be robbed from her if she doesn't know how to wage a good warfare over her personal life. And I thought, what a great uh, mum to have to torture her. And she went on and on about it going, no, i got to learn no, how to say no and not feel bad about saying no. And then she went on and talked about how her um, personal life was uh, adjusted and robbed from her as a teenager because a guy forced himself, so to speak, upon her in that because she did, just didn't feel confident in saying no. So this is a part of waging a good warfare over your prophetic word that you can be a person who uh, doesn't dive into emotional, mental, uh, you know, almost uh, depression or something like that over something because you're, uh, oh, gee, maybe I should have said yes. And I'm just, no, I need to feel comfortable and confident about saying no about certain things and yes about other things. And that's the confidence of waging a good warfare, learning how to walk in the spirit like that, to realize that uh, there's an enemy to the vision. He won't like me doing it. He'll tell me that I'm no good. The Bible says the enemy is the accuser of the brethren. He's accusing me day and night for just being a loser and no good and this and that and so on and so forth. So I need to be a person who can, can I say it again, knows how to wage a good warfare. You're not going to learn that just by me saying that over and over again. You'll need to get with someone and say, how do you pray over certain things? How do, you, how do you think about certain things? How do you make your mind stronger over certain things that I just don't allow my mind to wander where it needs to and I overthink things and before long I'm worried about something that was so, something that was just not worth worrying about to the average person but somehow I got myself into a state where the person, did they really say that? Did they really mean that when they said that? And waste, I suppose, time in my thinking. Anyway, learning how to wage a good warfare. And, th- and it goes on and talks about, you know, don't we don't deal with flesh and blood, but principalities and powers that may be a- an enemy to my thinking continually. So why is that important? Because we're leading to something tonight in the sense of this month uh, transitioning across to talking about prayer and we're talking about the mountains. The main area why we don't do that, you know why we don't do that as believers? Don't give ourselves to that vain thinking. The main reason we don't do this is so we don't waste time. We don't be time wasters. You know, I, I used to say to my son, Josh, you know, Josh, when you're young and you, you know, you pull out your guitar or something like that at a party and you're only, you know, 10 or something, 5 or something like that, everyone thinks, oh, it's a cute little kid, you know, look, you know, and he's missed a few chords, but who cares? How cute is he? I said, you do that when you're 12? And everyone goes, oh, he missed a few chords, didn't he? You know, uh, he didn't hold his hand right. Or gee, You do that when you're 25 after you've been playing for 15 years and everyone goes, ooh, he's not very good, is he? You know, what is the difference? It's only time. 
And so it is, you know, around our personal life, making sure we grab hold of the time. Ephesians 5.16 is what we're talking about tonight, waging a good warfare. But in Ephesians 5.16, it talks about something that's really important when it, it lists this, this down. Maybe 15 is a good, the whole book is good there in Ephesians. But Ephesians 5, perhaps 15, see that you walk circumspectly, carefully, the Bible says, not as fools but as wise. You know, probably if we take a step back, if you're not a person who values the Word of God or values the Bible, maybe you see it as a, another book that you know you can read and you can read something else and something else. If you really don't take the Bible to heart and let it be the sole source of your faith and the absolute rule of your conduct, maybe there's, there's doubt, maybe there's a question mark, maybe you think, well, you know, King James wasn't, you know, he's a bit of a shady character and all this sort of stuff, you know, and maybe there's, you know, more books that should have been written in the Bible and things like that. They can undermine your faith. They can undermine your confidence. They can undermine you letting the Word of God be an absolute to your conduct, an absolute to your thinking. You know, I can read a lot of books, That's you know, because I like reading. I can read a lot of books, but I don't take to heart everything that's written because oftentimes that can be written by a man. But when I read the Bible, I really take the whole thing to heart. And here it says, uh, you know, see then that you walk carefully. To me, I look at circumspectly. The word circumspectly means they're carefully in the, in the little uh, footnote I've got in my Bible. That I walk carefully. Who else would tell me that information? Who else would give me advice like that? Who else would take time to, to speak into my life like that? God does. And how God does it is not just by the still small voice that God would minister to you, but he, through, through the Bible, through the Word of God, letting it get around your life and adjust your character, adjust the way you think. Adjust. Some people can read the Word day after day and never change because they don't let the Word of God change them. They don't let it adjust their character. They don't let it adjust their thinking. So they think, I, go, I am not going to think like that anymore. I, I, a little funny example, I was sitting next to a lady at a conference uh, once. She was a you know, mature age woman. And um, she kept saying things like that. Stop it. I don't do that anymore. You don't do that anymore. Stop it. You know? And I'm thinking, what is wrong with that lady? She's a bit strange. <laughs> she kept saying it under her breath all the time during the conference. The speaker was speaking. She goes, stop it. You don't do that anymore. Anyway, I said to her at the break, I said, can't help but notice that you're having a little of a conversation there with yourself. What's happening there? And because uh, I knew her a little bit, we had the conversation. She said, I used to bite my fingernails, but I'm now speaking to myself, so I don't do that anymore, you know, because I don't want to do it anymore, so I'm not going to do it anymore, so I keep telling myself, stop it, you know. <laughs> and I thought, isn't that interesting that, uh, you know, she has deliberately gone out of her way, as funny as that may seem, to stop doing something that she doesn't want to do anymore and she's had to resort, because she thinks it's probably the best option, to speaking to herself over those situations, to bring that level of discipline to her life. I can imagine today she just wouldn't do it because she's broken through in that area. So it says here, see that you walk carefully, carefully, not as fools but wise person. Uh-huh redeeming, verse 16 is what I'm trying to say tonight, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wow, that is very good. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, which is, is dispensation. 
but be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it goes on and talks about submitting to one another. But we want to bring out verse 16 tonight, redeeming the time. Redeem the time because the days are evil. What it means to me is if I'm not careful with how I live my daily life, the enemy could be quick to come in and steal something that doesn't get off the ground because I'm not watching over there. The word redeem actually means pay careful attention. Pay careful attention. Pay careful attention to the time because the days are evil. And it says, another translation says, which I think is more accurate, to buy back, to regain possession of it. To buy back or regain possession of time. That time that you have, that we all have to be able to do that. And I thought, what a powerful scripture to appreciate that. Why? Because it's time, because time is a gift from God. And none of us know how much time we are allotted. Only God knows that. No one knows how much time we are allotted. Only God knows how much time. So I want to buy back and take back and possess the time, the only time that I have. I may not have tomorrow, but the only confidence I have is I have right now. You know, I don't know if my heart's going to keep beating and all those nerves and organs and cells are going to keep doing all those sort of things, but I do know I have now. And he says, take, be careful you don't waste the now. Take full advantage to take back what you actually have. You know, and I thought, wow, that's so powerful. I have a, a you know, a negative, so to speak, testimony. I was at the markets on Saturday morning and I was buying something. And the lady said, what have you got on for the rest of the day? I go, oh, look, I've got a lot of things planned. And I walked away and I thought, I was heading off to the working bee at my church. I should have told her that I'm heading off to working bee at my church and I'm so excited about catching up with everybody and you know making sure our church looks fantastic and smells really good and looks really good. It could have changed her life. I don't know. It could have been a massive turning point in her life. To go back and sort of try and you know explain that, you know, after I bought my sandwich may not have uh, been the right time. Because you know why? I missed the time. There was a time that I didn't redeem the time, take advantage of the time, use the time fully, because maybe in my heart I wasn't grabbing hold of the time that I had by redeeming it. Come on. I need to redeem the time that I have. I need to take advantage of You know, t- today's a day, uh, you know, I could go to my grandchildren's, uh, granddaughter's uh, birthday party or something like that. Oh, I'm so tired. I'm so awkward. I've got so busy. I've got a lot of things to do. That's not redeeming the time. That's not being careful about taking back and possessing the time that I actually have to be excited and to, to live like that. Because as I said, now's all I've got. He wants us to live with a constant awareness that the clock is ticking and make the most of the time that we have. And when I read the Bible and look at the Bible, the NIV says, making the most of every opportunity. That's what it says when it says redeeming the time. The NIV says, making the most of every opportunity. Wow, do we ever do that? Do we ever do that? Do we ever consciously say to yourself, maybe it's a retraining, maybe you could start tonight and say, God, I want to make the most of every opportunity I have. I want to make the most of every opportunity I have. Because if I don't, 
maybe there's some evil that can flood into that area and take it in a different direction. So he's saying, basically, Paul's saying to Timothy, be careful how you live, son. Squeeze the juice out of life. Enjoy it. Uh Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Uh So we live conscious of the fact that many of us don't have another day. Live in a way that, you know, I, I preach to you tonight like this might be the last time I ever preach. People say, oh, you're not a very good preacher, not that. I don't care whether I'm good or not. I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. This is the time I have. This is the joy I have. This is the privilege I have to be able to do this. So I want to say, I'm going to redeem the time. I'm going to take the best opportunity I can to be the most influence I can by saying the words right, uh, you know, smiling or whatever it takes to redeem that time and do it well. Why, why is that? Because I'm not acting thoughtlessly. I don't want to act thoughtlessly. I don't want to act carelessly. But understand what the Lord wants me to do in this time and let that deep get deeper. Uh-huh. And so that's, that comes through prayer, that comes through meditating, that comes through thinking upon the Word of God. Uh-huh. And so we have to be people who are going to live out, climb our mountains by knowing how to wage a good warfare, by redeeming the time. And some of that, you know, we talk in Acts 2 about it being a prophetic generation, that we're a generation who can uh, hear the prophetic word, be able to say, right, I need to wage a good warfare. We're wrapping up tonight. Wage a good warfare. I need to be a person who stands strong. I need to be a person who redeems the time and don't, you know, it's easy sometimes, oh, so many people come and interrupt me and tell me different stories. Well, maybe you've just got that written on your shirt. Interrupt me anytime you like because my time is not that valuable. Maybe you need to rewrite the, the book and say, rewrite your T-shirt and say, hey, I'm redeeming the time. I'm not wasting a moment. I'm taking every opportunity I can to be able to talk to you, share with you, listen to you, whatever it might be, taking full advantage of the moment. As I said tonight, the title of the message was Staying Alive. This is a great way to stay alive. This is a great way to live with hope in your heart. Get a prophetic word. Wage a good warfare over it. Don't waste a moment at seeing it come to pass. That's how you become a good mountain climber. That's how you become a person who pushes through and gets hold of a promise, doesn't let it go, and gets a gold medal. That's what I think. Father, we thank you tonight. We thank you tonight for a young generation. We thank you for a a, a mature generation who, Father, all the days of their life, stand strong, stand deliberate, Don't waste a moment. Lord, open our eyes of our understanding to comprehend with all the saints the truth of your word, casting down vain thoughts and imaginations that try and exalt themselves above the knowledge of God. They're brought down into captivity and obedience to your word. Help them, I pray, Father, in this hour. Help the people listening today, I pray. Listening tomorrow, I pray, Father, that whatever that word is, whatever that prophetic thing is, maybe they blow the dust off it and say, come on, I'm going to stand strong in God today and walk true and all God's called me to live in this hour so I can be staying alive. Make a good song title, wouldn't it? Staying alive. I think the BGs did that already. Be stirred and be encouraged in this hour. Stay strong in all God's called you to do.